0: Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Jeff Otto, Chief Marketing Officer at Riskified, a publicly traded SaaS company that specializes in fraud and chargeback prevention. In conversation with Emerge CEO and Head of Research Daniel Fagella, Jeff shares findings from Riskified's new survey of 300 merchants from around the world on their customer policies, including refunds and loyalty programs. The survey sheds light on what refund policies and customer experience strategies mean for bottom lines across the retail and e-commerce sectors. Later, the pair discusses these problems from a data perspective and the growing importance of retail leaders being able to verify as much customer information as they can. Without further ado, here's their conversation.
1: So Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Dan. Glad to be able to dive into this world of fraud and policy abuse. And you guys have recently done a little bit of what we like to do, which is research and talking to a lot of people actually out in the field dealing with real problems that data might help with. Give a little bit of the backdrop of the bigger survey that you folks just wrapped up, and then we can unpack some of the trends from inside it. But I'd love to know who filled this thing out and kind of where we drew some of this from.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Although I'm fairly new to Riskified, the team's been trying to crack this problem for a few years now. And we thought, you know, what better way to do that than to ask a bunch of merchants across oh, yeah. the global spectrum. Absolutely. So, you know, across different regions from Mexico to China to Germany to Brazil to Australia and the UK, we asked 300 global merchants questions around, you know, how they think about the policies that they extend to their customers in terms of returns policies, refund policies, the types of promotion and loyalty programs that they run, and then the pain that they may be feeling around the cost of those policies and and giving out generous policies, and then also the abuse that they're they're feeling from that, from maybe some bad actors that yeah. are taking advantage of it.
1: So this is this is global here. So we're we're talking about patterns that might dot connect between latin america and the united kingdom and you name it so and i imagine some of them are universal there's probably some interesting geo specific ones too but why don't you highlight what's most interesting you know you, you got 300 people here we have all corners of the world probably a bunch of types of products apparel electronics you name it what are some of those big trends that for you jumped out as as things that are coming to the fore for issues for these merchants here
2: yeah for sure so i think the the headline here is the the policy dilemma which I think we teased out of this survey research. And on one side of the equation, we are seeing plus 90% of the survey respondents share with us just how important it is to offer generous returns mm. and refund policies, you know, delightful experiences to all customers right, that they're engaging with. While at the same time, on the other side of that scale, we're seeing a lot of pain and across in the low 90s, percentage-wise, in terms of respondents saying they are feeling a lot of impact to their profitability from the cost of returns, the cost of refunds, you know, item not received, reseller abuse, promotions abuse. So they're they're trying to balance between these two, you know, sides of sides of the coin, and, and you know, make sure that they are driving loyalty through great experiences, but also not suffering from a profitability standpoint when they get taken advantage of.
1: Huh. And I want to actually kind of untangle to some of these terms we even mentioned. You, know, you mentioned kind of like promotion abuse and reseller abuse, these particular pointed things. Define some of those for us. You know, Many of our listeners are going to be in retail. Maybe some use different terms, maybe some are not in the retail space. Just let, let's tee up what those terms mean here.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, an item not received claim, for example, where someone puts in a claim, they're saying that, you know what, I, I ordered something, I didn't receive it. And, you know, in many cases, this is a legitimate, you know, claim. And yep. then unfortunately, in, in what we're seeing is across the spectrum of abuse, quite often there's a, a large number of folks that are, you know, being dishonest with that, right? And they're costing yeah. uh, merchants a lot of money. And I'll give you some, you know, tangible examples on that as we get into it, promotion abuse or, or loyalty program abuse is more around consumers taking advantage of generous discounting with products. And so, you know, I'll tell you a, a quick story, which I found fascinating. We were working with a really large, you know, online retailer for, you know, selling all types of, in the home goods space. and. After analyzing a couple quarters of their order data, we were able to find that there was this cohort of about 4,000 real people, like actual legitimate people, we could resolve their identities through, through machine learning, that they had created 137,000 accounts. Uh-huh. And they were doing that to get this first time, you know, customer discount right? For auto shipping. yeah, And the discount is 50%. And so for this merchant, when their gross, you know, gross margin is 28%. That means that that whole cohort, they're getting hammered on yeah. that, right? They're losing money on every one of those.
1: Okay. So it, it seems to me like this could be a problem, but I don't think most of us would intuit that 4,000 people would multiply themselves, you know, 26 times each, to, to yeah. create this many identities, it's, that's a little bit of the shocking part. When you say reseller abuse, is that because a lot of these folks, they'll take these things that they can get at some kind of promotional discount and they'll put them up on eBay or whatever and they'll they'll flip them? Is is this what reseller abuse is or did that mean something else?
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, some tangible examples to provide context for the audience. You know, we have a, a, a French luxury brand that was talking with one of our customers at our Ascend conference a, a couple months back. and. They use our policy protect tool. I've been using it since April to resolve the identity of resellers. And what's happening is they, in one specific example, they were able to use the tool to identify one individual that had created 50 accounts and was ordering, you know, 240 different orders for their purses and then sending it to a, a variety of freight forwarders and the free folders oh. don't really have any controls in place for gray market. Yeah. So, yeah. So unless unless you can really resolve that identity on the front end, what's happening is, you know, if you're a luxury brand, your inventory is being gobbled up by resellers and they're going and marking it up.
1: Yeah. At, at, at yeah.
2: It's scarcity in the market in the gray market. Or, you know, you've got, let's say, you know, another example, we have a electronics customer that during Black Friday last year in 22, we, we compare, we kind of ran a parallel head to head against their internal rules-based solution and ours. And, you know, we saw just this massive amount of reseller abuse happening during the holiday surge, Hmm. right? They were catching 27% of it. And then we were able to show them. A, you know side by side comparison we're we're capturing eighty five percent of these unauthorized resellers that are grabbing up all of your inventory. so
1: yeah, hopefully the audience is getting the picture here we've got we've got a seesaw back and forth we've got generous promotions that can really help us to acquire new customers or maybe wake up older dead customers. you know there's a thousand ways to think about our customer lifetime value and the company that you you had there that was discounting fifty percent, presumably they know their clV they know. If I get people in for these kind of products at a discount, I'm going to make my dollar back by X number of months into the future with these specific people. But of course, there's a lot of ways to gamify that. And you know, you're bringing up this reseller market, which I think some of the audience may not be aware of just how pervasive that is. So this puts this puts that balance on the table, right? We 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 need to run these things, but we cannot be absolutely robbed blind when we're doing it. So, this takes us to data. You brought up a great example a second ago of detecting who these resellers were. You can go into the particular examples you want to. I have a curiosity about that one, but let's talk a little bit about where data fits in to solve some of these pervasive issues that we're clearly seeing with retailers around the world.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the name of the game is can we, you know, identify the true identity of you know this this person right that's behind their you know that behind their keyboard right and can we validate them and what we're seeing if we look at the data is that across the spectrum of abuse and it is a wide spectrum you know from if you think about it on one side you've got your professional fraudsters they are training one another on the dark web they've got user manuals for oh, how to man. take advantage of 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 some you know merchant's policy right then you've got, you know, this spectrum of serial abusers, like I mentioned, you know, that the 4,000, you know, actual people that have created 137,000 yep. accounts take advantage of that deep discounting, yep. right, for new, new customers. Those are kind of serial or they're, they're, they're photoshopping return labels and doing yeah. all kinds of things like that. Then you've got, you know, really probably the largest cohort is the friendly abusers, you know, uh, I always joke with my wife, I think she'll be okay with me saying this, that she will go and order, you know, five pairs of toddler size 4T clothes from a merchant and not realize that when she returns four out of those five, she is costing that merchant, you know, more than the value of the order, right? You know, yeah. even about the reverse logistics, the freight costs, the, you know, the human beings that are operating all of that. You know, sometimes you can't restock and you've got to go to landfill. There's an environmental impact, of course, to all of this. Yeah, And you think about that. And there's so many of these friendly abusers that don't realize the economic or even environmental impact of what they're doing. So across that spectrum, and this is conservative, you know, estimates, this is five, this is five cents of every dollar of global online sales. Yeah, It's one of those three
1: you're saying, one of those three.
2: Yeah, it's supporting abusive, what we consider abusive customers, right? That are not really the customers that you want to spend your time to nurture and build loyalty with for customer lifetime value. You know, and and if you, let's say eMarketer or Forbes is right, and we end the year at $6.3 trillion in online sales, right? Then, you know, we're talking about a problem that's hundreds of billions of dollars a year and it's growing double digits year over year, especially since the pandemic, right? And and so as these abuse trends evolve, the problem continues to get bigger. And that I think is a really compelling reason to kind of wake up to the challenge here.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And I would imagine that our approaches are gonna be different too, because your real professional dark art do it at scale you know, IP spoofing. You know, whatever these people are doing, that's a different person than you know the situation as as pleasant as what you mentioned. Even your your wife there. Maybe we can we can talk about those different groups and cohorts because I would suspect if we can pick up a pattern of somebody who's really moving volume in some insane way. Hopefully, we can do enough proxying, whether it's IPs, emails, whatever it is, to have enough warning signals to start to box out a known player. But you have, you know, Sally Joe who's making her first purchase. Is there really any great way of us to know that Sally Joe's the kind of person who sometimes will just say it never arrived and will wear that pair of shoes because, you know, that's what she wants to do. You know, like, it it feels like we're under very different circumstances here. Maybe you can walk us through this, Jeff.
2: I completely agree, Dan. And I think the, you know, in the ideal world, right, we're able to get down to a resolution of one right? Every cohort is one and we can personalize experiences at that level. And when you, when you think about, you know, that spectrum, the way that we like to frame it is let's be pro growth and let's be pro trust and let's turn the trust dial for each of those cohorts. Right. And when we can extend trust, because we truly understand the identity and the history of that. Absolutely. That creates even a great experience, right? Because, you know, you you order something, right? You're putting it, you you didn't get what you wanted or the item was, was damaged. You put a claim in uh, or you call a contact center. You know what? They know you. They can see that you're a good customer. They're going to resolve that in one call for you. Yep. They're going to say, absolutely. Yeah. Trust Let's move forward, yep. right? Now, maybe they get the person that has some, you know, we look at the history. We look across, you know, in our case, a merchant would use our merchant network, right? Yep. 10 years of fraud data, right? In our graph, two years of, of claims data and all of the, the features that we've trained around that. And they're, what they're going to see is, well, there's some good and some bad with that. Well, that doesn't mean we give that person a hard no. It means that we turn the trust dial back a little bit. Yep. We apply just the right amount of friction and we say, you know what? Maybe at checkout for this person, we dynamically say all sales are final. Or uh, if they came in, we say, hey, why don't you return in store? Right. So we can verify their identity. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these like turn the trust out really back. interesting. Now, when you can identify again through, you know, through having the, you know, AI powered identity resolution, the bad actors, then you can fire them. Right. Yep. You fire them and say, I don't want to do business with you anymore. And when they try to create a fake account and they try to do all kinds of, of, you know, creative things, they pop back up in another way. You detect them and block them again, right? Yeah. So they, keep, they continue to be suppressed and you continue to kick them out of the store, so to speak.
1: Yeah, the, the digital store, which is, of course, harder in many ways than the, the local store because I can get a new cell phone. I can, you know, start working at a Starbucks somewhere. I can, you know, create a new Gmail account whenever I want. But I imagine there's a million ways to triangulate, you know, where are we shipping to, other kinds of behaviors. It's probably all your guys' secret sauce there. But a big part of what you just brought up is around sort of the training it on the fraud data. And again, I think this is kind of the golden dream in the cybersecurity world five, six years ago, you know, when AI was was popping off over there, as it still is, is that, hey, if we can have enough record of IP addresses, actors, whatever, doing this kind of hacking to get access to credit card data then we can go to you, merchant, business, whatever it is, and we can figure out what kind of behavioral patterns in your systems might might lead that way. It sounds like that's a big part of the play for Riskified as a business in that regard. I mean, talk a little bit about the value of that historical trove.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I think one of the reasons why I was really compelled to join this company after talking with Edo and, and some of the other executives on the team was just the you know that they started this this was a a company that was born ai first they were born you know with all right let's get the data right on the front end let's go deep in our integrations let's get a hundred attributes per order let's tag and label appropriately let's enrich so that we've got really really strong you know graph of data but it's not just about the graph because you know at, at the end of the day a graph that shows relationships amongst nodes that's great but that's just the start. Yeah. You have to build upon that. And what I'm uh, particularly interested in as this technology evolves is you layer on top of that an identity resolution engine. You know, you use models that can, you know, gauge similarity between, you know, accounts or loose connection modeling. And that gets you to the point where you can now, all right, I'm going to run that against the, you know, every other node in the graph, and I'm going to see what kind of accuracy we can get there. And we see very high, you know, 98 plus percent accuracy in resolving identities. Then you look at the situation. Okay, now let me evaluate. What kind of order was it, right? Was it, you know, was this order for a U.S. A US credit card with a Cambodian keyboard on the computer? Was it, you know, is yeah. this a luxury good that's easily fensible, right? You know, what kind of other things is a risky... You know, address is it a risky phone number? We can assess all of those features comprehensively And in the case of policy protectors, there's there 50 of them that we're deploying. And over the last year or so, 24 billion dollars of transaction volume has been, you know, reviewed by this product to make the, the the models even more effective at discovering who's good and who's bad, you know, the angels and demons across yeah. that
1: spectrum. Yeah. And 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 I think the idea of the spectrum is really kind of eye-opening here in so many regards. There's, you know, to go back to the analogy you'd used of being able to fire those bad customers and adjusting the trust dial. And man, I've got to imagine there's two places that really seem like an exploding of possibilities as you've been talking here, Jeff. One of them is what are the signals we can take in to figure out who this is and how they're going to act, you know? Type of keyboard, you know, all of those data points that, you know, the founders were interested off the get go. It's obviously not just IP address, email address, right? Which is, I think, for, for smaller businesses, maybe that's as much as you're going to get, but it's, it's much broader. The second thing that's much broader is what turning the trust dial up or down means. Because I was expecting that most of that was going to have to do with how we start replying to them when something becomes an issue. But you are saying that that even involves what the checkout flow looks like for that user. Talk about the panoply of what is in the suitcase in terms of tools that trust dialing involves because it is more complex than one place where we dial it up or dial it down. You're talking pre-purchase, post-purchase. Give me an idea of that magazine of possibilities.
2: Yeah, for sure, Dan. You know, it's really important that you look at this across the entire life cycle of the order. And a checkout, like, let's just say on a item not received, you know, situation first at the checkout, we want to make sure that we're, you know, doing what we can to resolve the identity uh, of that individual when they're, you know, first buying it. Right. And if they're uh, a known serial abuser or a bad actor, let's catch it there up front. Let's say we don't catch it. And then an iron, claim comes through. Well, you can. A look at, you can break this decisioning up and do some dual kind of decisioning, right? We can look across, all right, is this fraudulent, right? And do we see this as a a stolen credit card or something? And then in parallel, we can look at, all right, is this abusive? And so I think it's really interesting when you start to parallel thread some of your decisioning, because again, it gets more to that cohort of one, like what's the best experience for that individual? And then you know we have a new uh, capability called Dispute Resolve, which is actually helping merchants automate the chargeback dispute process, right? Providing evidence, etc., so that they can say, "Hey, we did the right thing here. Uh, we think that this, you know, chargeback is illegitimate based on the following, you know, evidence." And we're going to streamline that and take some of the manual burden off of the plate of the of the merchant.
1: All right, Jeff, so this is solid, and this has given us a dynamic of sort of detecting the person, the actions we can take, the types of abuse. There's a lot that we could put in a nutshell. If you were going to kind of crunch down really the big takeaways for retail leaders who need to be prepared for the future and, frankly, need to wake up the value of their data, lay out what those big takeaways should be from your perspective
2: here. Yeah, thanks, Dan. All right, so three, three takeaways to wrap this up and put a bow on it, I would say, first, We talked about that spectrum of abuse. We have, of course, the professional fraudsters training one another on the dark web. Then we have a cohort of serial abusers that are doing nefarious things and photoshopping labels and maybe returning empty boxes. And then there's a whole bunch of the friendly abusers that don't even realize that they're taking advantage of these generous return policies and costing merchants significantly in terms of profitability. So we have that spectrum. It's complicated. It requires a lot of thoughtfulness in how to engage those folks. And then the the second piece is there's a dilemma, a policy dilemma, where merchants realize and value the generous policies that they've instituted for returns, for refunds, et cetera, for using promotions to drive engagement and win new customers that have uh, customer lifetime value. They see that, On the other side, the business is suffering. They're all feeling the pain and the cost of supporting policies and in particular, getting abused by uh, a large cohort of these, that spectrum we talked about. So the key and final kind of thing to wrap it up with is it's all about resolving the true identity of the customer. And when you can resolve the true identity of the customer, you can then extend trust extend convenience to the good customers, you can add just the right amount of friction to the questionable customers you're not quite sure about. And then when you can resolve the identity of bad actors, you can fire them and kick them out of your digital store. And when they try to come back in the side door, you you detect it again and kick them out again. And I think the the game-changing technology of using AI-powered identity engines to create that resolution Is really powerful and allows this to be done surgically.
1: Yeah, that audience of one that you were talking about is kind of the ideal that we want to arrive at is, is exactly it. And I think what I'm interested to see as we move forward here is all of those ways that even I can see like retail experiences differ user to user. You know, if I'm logged in or I look over the shoulder of my brother or girlfriend or something, you know, are they getting a different? discount code. Maybe that's just based on promotion, what they think will convert. But maybe for some weird reason they're like, well, you know, Waltham, Massachusetts, we've had a lot of weird refunds from that apartment building. I'm just, we're going to dial that down. Like, like it's even pre-purchase, never mind post purchase. So it seems inevitable that this ecosystem is going to blossom in a really interesting way. And I think it's cool that you were able to share some of the research that you guys already learned. So I know that's all we have for time, but Jeff, thank you so much for being able to share your insights
2: with us today. Thank you, Dan. Great talking with you.
0: Before wrapping up today's episode, I'm sure many of our FinServe listeners are probably going to hear this coming, but I really could not help around the 13-minute mark. It's, it's a, the 11-minute mark, at least in the raw audio. But around the 13-minute mark, like retail leaders are coming to grips with basically the same challenges that we've seen in healthcare. Financial services seems to have gotten there first. But at the end of the day, I think retail leaders are realizing that they need their own know-your-customer workflows, even if they don't have to deal with know-your-customer regulations. We see this across insurance. Now we see a lot of these focuses in terms of healthcare and EHR data, improving patient experiences, the importance of verifying as much information as you can at the top of a service funnel. We're seeing this across the board and in many industries. And I think even a half decade, maybe even a decade down the line, I think know your customer as a data principle, as a data discipline is going to usurp a lot of these workflows, even where they're dependent on regulations, at least for the financial services sector. Retail doesn't have to worry about that so much. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.